Hello and welcome again to Romance Aloud, the RNA 60 podcast celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn and in this special series I'm talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the association's 60-year history whose work means the most to them. This time I'm delighted to bring you my interview with Jean Fullerton, best-selling author of the Russian Book series, the East London Nurses series and the East End Nolan Family series. When I spoke to Jean on the phone, I started by asking her why writing about the East End is so important to her. Well, you could probably tell from my accent already why I, I would write about East London. It's where I come from. It's where my family have been since the 1820s. It's part of my life. It's, I don't want to over-egg it, but it is part of me. And those communities that I write about are long gone. I mean, many people in publishing and in banking and you know, lawyers all live in East London now. Well, that clearly wasn't the case when I was growing up. It was a very different setup, but it was the old, this is the old East End where people did go in and out of each other's houses and, and very much children played in the streets. And it was a community where families lived in the same street or the next street, um, as my Fullerton family did. I mean, Fullerton is my name. And um, we lived in Anthony Street, but my family lived in Jane Street, Planet Street, around the corner. And there was a big family on my dad's side that lived in all sorts of streets nearby, all within walking distance. So those communities really have gone there. So I try in my book to actually sort of honour them in a way by actually showing people what they were really like. And it wasn't all lovely, lovely, lovely. It wasn't all everybody all in together. There was some tough times. And of course, there was a lot of poverty and it was very run down and poor area. But it was a community, as with many, many other working class communities in any in any industrial part of, of England, you know. And what interests you about the time periods you set your books in? Well, I think because people like history, what I would call social history, which is what I think I write in a fictitious way, but they like it if it's in touching distance. And most of us can go back far enough to our great-grandparents. And now, obviously, a lot of people are looking into their, their roots. So you can often trace people back for 100, 150 years. And, and stories I write, the period I write for, is within touching distance. Many people have got pictures of family members, great-uncles or grandparents who fought in the Second World War. So it's not a distance. Thing. It's something we all did together. And we've got evidence of it in our own families. Whereas, I mean, I like the Tudors as much as the next person, but I haven't got, as far as I know, any Tudor ancestors I could put a name to. So that it's a period that we can't relate to. Whereas today, you can relate to things that maybe happen to your family, especially as say, if you're going to talk about a community you come from, you know where your roots are, where you've got, you know, where your family came from, or what sort of lives they had. And I like to think in my Victorian books, which are set 1830 through to about 1850, my family came to London from Scotland, from uh, Argyll. In 1832 is the earliest one I've traced. So I like to think that actually my fictitious characters could be walking down the same street as my actual family back in the day because they were still there. Do you think we can romanticise the past? I mean, you write about people who had hard lives. Absolutely. And that's, that's very true. I mean, for some people, it was a time to pull together and the vast majority of people did. But for others, uh, it was just a chance to make money, a fast buck. And I like to do that. I don't think we do anybody any favours if we just gloss over what things are really like. And quite frankly, human beings are human beings since we, you know, since forever. And reaction was differently. And some people, you know, it's easy to look back now because we know the history of the Second World War. We know at the end that we came out of it and we came out of it intact. But in the very early period of the war, I mean, in that first sort of phony war area, there was still a lot of pressure on the government, a lot of people in government who really wanted to, you know, come to some arrangement with Hitler and uh, and 
I like to try and bring that out because it, it, like history isn't just a straightforward series of events. It's often multi-layered. And although the politicians were the people debating it, that debate still went on. I mean, Mosley was very, very active in East London. He had his sort of associates down there stirring up trouble because it's a big Jewish area as well. And there was a lot of anti-Semitic feeling about before the war in East London. And I don't think it does anyone any favours to gloss over that. Equally, I think it's then can show the best of human nature. I mean, storytelling is about telling sort of universal truths about good and evil and people's situations. So there's no point glossing over the bad bits, but I think it helps to bring the story alive for the people who did do the right thing and did do their bit for the country and sacrificed a great deal. Now, can you tell us which author you've chosen to talk about for the podcast and why you've chosen her? I've chosen Catherine Cookson, actually. Uh, mainly because, in a sense, of my own genre, she's the mother of the uh, of my own genre. I mean, she's she's she published a hundred over a hundred books in her lifetime. Or just no, some were published just after her lifetime. But over a hundred books she wrote, and they sold you know one hundred thirty three million plus copies. So um, a phenomenal amount, and translated in I think it was twenty twenty five languages. So it's actually a massive body of work. I mean, for any one person, and this, I mean, she wrote before computers, she you know, literally wrote them. So I think it's a fantastic body of work, but they're not always seen as, in a sense, classics or amongst that sort of literary genre, because maybe, um, um, you know, just a point to put out there, maybe because she wrote about working class women, uh, whereas big novels or novels of work, so-called work often write about men's history, the way men thought or actually lived in particular periods. Where she wrote about ordinary women who struggled against massive odds quite often just to keep a roof over their head and, and uh, food on the table for their families. How and when did you first come across Catherine Cookson's work? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you the year because that might give me away. You never ask a lady their age, but truly, I, I mean, my first job, full-time job leaving school when I was 18, was actually in Whitechapel Library, in Allgate Library, which is right next to the Whitechapel Art Gallery. I think it's still there, actually. Um, and I worked there as, I started there as a Saturday girl and actually moved in and did just six months there when I left school while I was sorting myself out. And of course, as all library assistants or librarians will know, when you're standing in those days, you used to stamp cards and take the little card out and put it in. But when you see them, you see all sorts of books coming across where people take them out and when people bring them back again. And I must say, I, as a youngster, I'd read um, Jean Plady and Anya Seaton and all those sort of – I always read um, historical. I've loved history ever since I was old enough to realise what history was. Um, so I saw a couple of Catherine Cookses, and they were massively, massively popular with all the ladies used to come in. I mean, they used to devour books. They would bring, come in on a Monday and bring all back on a Friday and take some more for the weekend. And these Catherine Cookson novels kept going backwards and forwards, and I kept seeing them. And I thought, well, let, you know, let's give it a go. I'm a, I always have been a massive reader, still a massive reader. And I, I started reading them, and I felt they were eye-opener. As much as I like Jean Plady and, and Anya Seat and, and Mary Stewart, in a sense, the books of Catherine Cookson, although set up in Tyne and Weir, spoke to the same sort of communities that I, I knew. I mean, and this is at a period when my accent, although it worked very well for me now, was something that you, if you wanted to work in a bank, you know, I had friends who went to elocution lessons to get rid of their Cockney accents. So to actually read books about ordinary women, uh, albeit a hundred years before my own experience, and they were the central characters, was a bit of an eye-opener, really. And I'd, I've read them ever since, quite honestly. And then I've gone from them, obviously, to uh, Barbara Taylor Bradford and, and same people like that. And they're just fantastic. Even now you can read them. They're written in a different way to many modern novels, but the storyline is absolutely fantastic. And it's a story at the end of the day. 
and the characters and make any reader keep turning the pages. And as well as the characters and the plots, is it that setting that you've mentioned that makes Catherine Cookson's books stand out as well? The setting a little bit. I mean, nobody reads a book for the setting. People read books for the characters, whether they're in, you know, Dublin and Hose or whether they're in Lycra or up in a spaceship. It's the characters that actually make people read. So it was the characters of these women being the central characters. And actually, although they often were very disadvantaged because the period that she wrote about, women had very little rights. They couldn't open bank accounts and all sorts of things. But it's the fact that they actually strove uh, to overcome the difficulties. And I mean, that's a good role model for anybody, but particularly for working class women. So actually, they, it was the characters in them, although they were romantic, it wasn't romanticised. It wasn't, oh, hearts and flowers and the, the heroine falling into the, the hero's arms. It was often hard fought romances against the odds and with uh, some terrible things, you know, rape and abuse and all sorts of stuff going on. But the, the central character, the women, I mean, Tilly Trotter is one particularly, I remember, is, is you know, fighting through. I mean, the Malin streak and the, Mal- the Malin series. That was that was a family all fighting through, all set up by this sort of the landowner who had actually had his way with anybody fancied, basically. But it actually showed the women how they fought back against that, and they decided that they were going to live their own lives and not and not just be victims the whole time. So actually, in a way, they were like forerunners of some of the novels of nowadays of strong women finding their own way. Um, and so yes, they had a great impression on me as a teenager back in the day. She actually lived the life of many of her heroines, being in domestic service, for example. Have you read any of her autobiographies and then recognised experiences that she put into the novels? Mm. She had a terrible life. I mean, she had a terrible life thinking that her mother was, in fact, her sister for many, many years. I don't think she ever really came to terms with that as well. I mean, bearing in mind, she was brought up in an age before we, I mean, we talk about everything now, don't we? We, we you know, we share and we do. But at the time they were brought up, the same period of my, my parents, well, my dad particularly, born in 1917. It's a period nobody talked about anything. Nobody told anybody. I had... Um, I had two aunts in my family who I know weren't married, but nobody talked about it. And, you know, it was not spoken about. And she was brought up in that period. So nobody spoke about the fact that her mother was really, who was supposed to be her sister, was really her mother. Psychologically, we all understand that. Now. That would have an effect on a child, which would go on into later life. That said, she had a very happy marriage. She was married from 1940 onwards until she died. And, yeah, I mean... You know, that's life, isn't it, really? Sometimes we start very poorly or we start in a very difficult place, but we work our way through. There have been lots of TV, film and stage adaptations of Catherine Cookson's novels over the years. Do you think they can ever live up to the books? I'm sure if any of my novels were ever made into a TV series, there would always be a difference between what I imagine the characters look like and what the actors say they would actually cast in those characters. And I think you have to take that as the way it is. But I think actually in some ways, the way she constructs her stories, which are very linear, she doesn't jump about. In those days, you you just started at the beginning, you worked your way through, um, actually lend themselves very easily to adaptation because that's the way stories are told on TV. I mean, they do go back and forth, but most of the sort of narrative saga type stories, you see, follow a line. Dramas go through from the beginning and through to the end. You may have flashbacks to things that happened previously, which is true also in Catherine Cox's book, but the main, the main story goes linear. So consequently, if you're doing a, a series or you're doing it as a, a TV program, it's an easier story to, I would think, and I've never adapted one, to actually adapt rather than one that drops about all the time. And those Catherine Cookson TV miniseries were really popular at the time they were shown, weren't they? Massive, absolutely massive. I mean, this is when we had also had Pole Dark and the Full Sight Saga, probably before your time, Ian, if the truth were known. I don't know about that. You might be surprised. 
<laughs> it was a t- it was a time of those sorts of big series that uh, the people would stay in. I mean, I think legend has it that the Foresight Saga, which was on on the Sunday night on that sort of prime spot Sunday night, put the end to even song because everybody was at home watching the, the Foresight Saga instead of going to church. So uh, you know, yeah, I mean that's how popular those things were, and you know, hers slotted in very well to those big dramas that people sat up and they set the alarms for, and they all sat around and, and watched. So uh, yeah, is there a particular book by Catherine Cookson that you find yourself going back to? Um, I haven't gone back to it for a while, but I, the Mallon series I particularly like. I do quite like a rugged hero. I'm not a Mr. Darcy person. I don't dislike it, but I'm much more a working class hero, sort of rough diamond type of hero. And and many of Catherine Cook's books were that. In fact, often the aristocracy or the landowners were the villains of the piece. And it was the ordinary, decent working man who was the actual hero. And I try to, I don't emulate her. I don't consciously copy that role model, but I actually like to have heroes who are basic working class, decent men in my books rather than the, you know, the aristocratic rich man who who can come in. I mean, you know, Mr. Darcy for all his attributes, and I know I'll I'll alienate lots of people for saying this, in the sense he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, wasn't he? He he was born into that money and he, he may have his, all his money, but what did he do to earn it? And whereas a, a hero to me is somebody who actually strives to better themselves, you know, men and, and women as well. So I, I tend to like Catherine Cookson's heroes because they are ordinary men um, who actually just do an honest day's work uh, and actually stay to do the right thing by everybody. Now, a question I ask all of my guests about their RNA 60 choice Did you ever get to meet her? No, sadly not. Sadly not. She had poor health towards the end of her life anyway. Um, I saw a couple of interviews with her, obviously on TV, but no, I never got to see her. And you, you can't always meet every hero you've got in the world. And uh, but she's left, but in a way, she's left enough for people to know her uh, through the biographies that she's already alluded to, but also through her works. We put such a lot of ourselves into our characters and our stories. In a sense, it is part of us. So you could actually know us through our stories because the way we think uh, as authors can't help but permeate into our stories. If you had met her, what do you think you would have said to her? Oh, goodness knows. Um, I would have thanked her, actually. I think I would have thanked her for uh, hours of endless pleasure reading the books, as a, as a, not so much in later years, because uh, you know I'd read most of them by the time that she died, but certainly in the early years, and very formative as well, certainly from a working-class background that I came from, very uh, ordinary background, that actually showed that, that you know, we could be heroes and heroines too. Well, she wrote over such a long period, more or less half a century. Can you see any changes in the books over that time in terms of style, plot or character? I can't say I did really. I mean, in a way, I mean, what she wrote has given the sort of shorthand to what the publishing industry calls sagas, which is like the clogs and shawls. So in a sense, it dealt with some of the same issues. Uh, although she did touch on things like in Colourblind, she touched on racial issues but she did, you know, she included other things within it. Um, but I think the strengths of them were actually that you you were looking at different women within difficult circumstances still triumphing at the end. She always wrote really well, actually. I mean, I think like all authors, she improved. I can't say consciously I noticed it, but she must have, and she did improve over time because you can't do something for 100 plus novels and not actually improve just instinctively. I mean, I can speak for myself that from the books I first wrote, I can see how my own writers developed. So I'm sure that's the same for Catherine Cookson. But she, she, her books, one of the strengths, again, was that they were consistent. 
you didn't have this idea that uh, no names, no patrol, but you can like some author's early work. And as time goes on, maybe you're not as enthusiastic about them. But her books were always good when they came out. So even a new one was fresh in its own way. And that's quite an achievement. That is quite an achievement. Each book being as fresh as the one or the one ten, that she wrote, you know, 10 books before. And they are readable now. They are very readable now. What do you think today's romantic fiction writers could learn from Catherine Cookson? Oh, that's a big one, isn't it, really? Uh, Just to keep at it, really. I mean, she was published fairly early on. I mean, it's a different publishing industry when she was published, but I should imagine it's pretty tough for her to actually break in there. Um, But she kept going. I mean, she kept writing. At the end of the day, she just kept writing. We are a bit different nowadays. We do have to get involved in social media. We do have to do uh, publicity. No matter who we are, actually, we have to do publicity. Uh, But she just kept writing. The bottom line is that's our job is to write, is to tell stories and to put them in a form that people enjoy and to entertain people. All stories, stories should be moral. I think most moral stories are moral in one way. They tell a story, they tell a truth about society that they're saying maybe, Um, but they should at the end of the day be entertaining. You know, it it shouldn't be a trial to work your way through a book. It should actually be a pleasure. Um, And when people write to me and say, oh, I could put it down, I was sitting up, I had to read one more chapter. Well, I think my job is done. For anyone who's never read a Catherine Cookson novel, which one would you recommend they start with? Um, well, I, I personally would start with the Tilly Trotter books uh, and then move on to the man. And you might, I say they might seem a little bit dated, but the stories still hold true. And of course, the Manon, the Manon novels were made into a TV series with all sorts of people striding across the street screen with this Manon streak. I can't remember what side the Manon streak was on in the books, but everybody said it was on the wrong side in the TV series. So I'll take their word for that. But one of my favourites is actually The Gambling Man, mainly because he was a bit of an anti-hero, so I quite like that one as well. So I would, um, yeah, I'd, I'd start with them and then then just pick whichever one you fancy. There's so many to choose from, really. I mean, you know, you could go on forever with Cassie Cookson, couldn't you, really? I mean, she's got tons of them. You've got The Glass Virgin, you've got, um, I think, some other ones. Oh, The Blind Miller, all sorts of stuff. So there's plenty to, uh, to cut your teeth on there. Absolutely. Well, just to finish, if we can go back to your own writing career, what influence has the RNA had on you? Oh, how long have you got? How long have you got? Uh, well, it started me in a way. I never knew. I, I actually only started writing after going on a stress management course, an NHS stress management course. Um, and I did it just for a bit of fun. And it was only after I'd written about two books. I mean, when I say write them, I don't mean like I write them now. I just basically throw the stories down. I suddenly realised this is what I wanted to do. And I can't remember how, but somebody pointed me towards the the Romantic Novelist Association and their new writer scheme. And I joined back in 03, uh, and I've never looked back. I am dyslexic as well, so that has always been something about English that has has made me sensitive to the whole thing. But I sent it in, and I got a lovely report back, which basically said, yes, you have got what it takes to be a novelist, because you can tell a story that makes people want to read it, but uh, but you can't spell it, you can't punch it. So I sort of took it from there, really. Um, And I just learned, and I went to workshops myself, I listened to other authors, I joined the local chapters, uh, I got engaged, and I got involved in the RNA to such an extent that now I, I, I've done workshops and I've done, I run the chapters or I oversee the chapters, but I'm also now the education uh, officer on the committee, so I oversee all the educational stuff that goes on, which is with developing, and I just love it. I've got some very good friends I would never have had before after not been to the Romantic Novel Association, uh, and yes, it's it's just it's just part of my life now. And I, I, I'm eternally grateful to all the input from those who went before me, as it were, to make it the wonderful organisation it is today. And we're not standing still. It's our 60th anniversary. 
And we're moving forward and we're looking at other things we can do to help and support romantic fiction writers, whatever they whatever they write, whatever genre, um, and we're moving forward from there. So I'm really, really happy and, and excited to be a part of that. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it is just a uniquely wonderful organisation. The new writer scheme alone is unique in that people who've got no you know, access to any other way of getting a critique or being taught can actually come to the Romantic Novelist Association and have input and talk to people who know, meet people in the business. Um, it's just fantastic. It certainly is. Jean Fullerton, thanks so much. It's been really lovely to talk to you about your writing and, of course, the work of your RNA 60 choice, Catherine Cookson. That's lovely. Thank you very much, Ian, for inviting me along and I'll see you when I see you. And, dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelist Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Jean Fullerton and Catherine Cookson, can be found at windamaudio.com forward slash RNA. That's Wyndham, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, audio.com forward slash RNA. Take care, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Oh.